Well, let me do this. I'm not going to take um, what we uh, are, I've done is uh, on Wednesday or on the website. We haven't done this in the past, but um, these are uh, being uh, recorded, so these are uh, posted. So if you miss a Wednesday, uh, you can go to the website and kind of pick up where you left off. Also, if you do miss a Wednesday and you look on there, you'll see the attachment. So whatever the handout, you can click that and get the handout too there on the website. So I'm not going to belabor uh, the introduction from last week, but just want to say a few things and then we'll kind of pick up where we left off. But Colossians is, um, uh, well, the city of Colossae uh, would be in today. It doesn't exist today. The Colossae was destroyed by a major earthquake uh, shortly after when Paul uh, wrote this letter, but it was a city that was in what the Bible refers to as Asia Minor. To, in our vernacular or our geography, that's in the area of modern-day Turkey. Now, it's in the area, if you're familiar with the seven churches in Revelation, um, that is, it was really sandwiched between um, Ephesus, which was kind of the, remember in Revelation 2 and 3, uh, Ephesus was the first church and there were six other churches. Ephesus was kind of the, the church planting operation for that region. And if you um, uh, refer back to uh, in the book of Acts, uh, and we're not going to turn to it, but I'll just kind of say it as a, as a reference, that the Apostle Paul spent uh, a couple of years in, a, in, the, um, in the city of Ephesus uh, where he taught. He remained there in, um, in Ephesus, and he taught there. And uh, from that, from his teaching, uh, there was an individual who was saved under his ministry that we find in the book of Colossians, and he really was the pastor or church planter. Now, Paul never visited the city of Colossae. He never went there. He didn't plant the church, but it was this, uh, it was this individual by the name of Epaphras, and he's found in, uh, in uh, we find his name uh, in chapter 1, and we'll look at that in a little bit, in, in verse 7, where he talks about how uh, they learned from Epaphras. We're not really sure there, but Epaphras could even be Epaphroditus that Paul refers to, not really sure there. But Epaphras was saved and mentored, and, uh, and then he went back to his hometown of Colossae, where he essentially organized a group of individuals and believers and, and uh, form, formulated a church that uh, was there in the city of Colossae. So when we talk about Colossians, it's in the city of Colossae. And so, uh, it, as I said, it doesn't exist not too long um, after uh, Paul, um, uh, that they received this letter, maybe five or six years after that first encounter when Epaphras uh, was with Paul, he went back to Colossae, and about five or six years later, he went to Paul again. But Paul wasn't in Ephesus now. Paul was in Rome. He was in Rome, and uh, he was there uh, kind of under house arrest. And Paul, uh, we know from history, he wrote several letters when he was in Rome during this period. He wrote the book of Colossians. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. And they are sometimes referred to as the prison epistles or the prison letters. Uh, later, a couple of years after that, Paul uh, was was more in a in a uh, he wasn't under a house arrest back in Rome, but he was uh, he was more in a in a much deeper prison in Rome, where uh, church history um, tells us that he uh, was executed or beheaded, even possibly. But Acts 19, again, just have reference there. 
Uh, we find Paul in Ephesus, and there was a great work going on in Ephesus. Do you remember we took several Sundays where we just spent the entire time in Acts 19, and we looked at the revival that took place in Ephesus when we went through the book of Acts. We probably took four or five weeks, and you can go online and, uh, and listen to that, but we just kind of paused, and there were so many different things that were going on in Ephesus, and it became, as, we, as I said, the seven churches in Revelation. Ephesians is that first city there in Asia Minor, Minor modern Turkey, and all the other uh, churches kind of that flowed out of that, which was kind of a trade route, were probably planted through the, the kind of seminary or Bible college, they didn't call it that, that was going on there. But in Acts 19, Paul spent two years in Ephesus, and he was teaching, and he was training, and there was a tremendous work there. And so Epaphras, this guy who received the Lord, went back to Colossae and started this church, and, for, and believers were there and um, in this city. Now, five or six years later, as I said, uh, he found Paul again, but he finds him in Rome, goes there, because uh, Epaphras, as an elder pastor of the church, there was some issues and problems that were coming into the church at Colossae. There were some false teachers, and they were spreading some false doctrine and some false teaching. And a lot of what we find in Colossians uh, 1 and 2 and, and 3 get into a little bit of that. We're not going to get into that right now. But, um, but there were some, you know, we might call them cults. Uh, and, and I know we think of cults, we think of everything, you know, from Jim Jones to Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. But they were false teachers spreading false doctrine and disrupting the church. So what did Epaphras do? He went to his spiritual mentor, Paul, couldn't get on the internet and email him and do a FaceTime. You ever have people FaceTime you randomly? I don't answer those. I only FaceTime with grandchildren. I don't even FaceTime with my wife. She got mad at me. We were out of town. She wanted to FaceTime. I'm like, I'm not, I didn't want to do that, you know? But grandchildren, oh, I don't care what I'm doing. I stop when I, oh, you want to FaceTime? Great, wonderful. You know, that's, that's a great thing. Well, there you go. There you go. I want to, I want to hear her sweet voice. So, uh, <clears throat> so, so he couldn't, you know, just ring him up on the phone. So he had to go to Paul when he was in Rome, and as a consequence of sharing with him some of these, these issues that were going on in the church, some of these false teachings, uh, Paul couldn't just, you know, get on the next flight and go to Colossae. So Paul wrote a, a letter. Now, sometimes we think about a letter, we just think, you know, kind of, hey, how are you doing type of thing. But remember, Paul's letters uh, had, had, uh, had theological weight to them, you know, Romans, you know, if he, you know, so these were more than just, you know, yeah, I did a little tour. Did, you know, they, they were teaching letters because not only were they uh, these letters of the Apostle Paul read in the individual churches, but they were circulated. Remember, they didn't have, they had the Old Testament, probably the Septuagint, which was the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew. They had an Old Testament, but in this period of time, uh, these letters were inspired, as we have advantage of them today in our, uh, in our Bibles uh, and, uh, that, were, that were collected and put together much uh, later. But these letters had authoritative weight. Now, look in your Bibles at Colossians 1. We talked a little bit about this, but notice how Paul opens this letter like he does a lot of other letters. He's, uh, and he opens it up, Paul, an apostle 
of Christ Jesus or uh, by God's will. And, and we talked about why that was so important because as they, uh, as they were hearing this letter, this wasn't just some guy. This wasn't just some seminary professor of Epaphras that he knew that, you know, he's going to have him put the hammer down on these issues. There. No, this was the Apostle Paul, and to be an apostle, it wasn't like you could just, you know, mail in your, your application and be an apostle and get a little certificate, you know, because you saw it in the back of a magazine like some people do, or a nation, that one of the criterias of an apostle is uh, you had to be a witness of the resurrection, and Paul fit that criteria. There were 12 apostles. Paul was an apostle. So that, that, that weight of authority as, as a spokesman, you with me? As a spokesman. So Paul isn't just giving them suggestions or, or niceties. He's really putting them in order, putting them straight in regards to the teaching of the Word of God, the teaching of Christ. So he, in essence, is correcting these false teachings by, by articulating what is true teaching. So that is kind of the weight behind Paul's letters, and that's what we find here with um, the Colossians letter, that it has that apostolic authority. Now, I'm going to kind of just skip to this part here, that one of the things that Paul did is that in verse verse 9, notice what he says, and I'm uh, going to use, uh, just kind of for fun, I'm using a different translation uh, on Wednesdays. I'm using the uh, Christian Standard Bible, even though what is printed out is the ESV in your handouts. But sometimes I like a different translation for a different flavor, and I haven't used this a whole lot, so I thought this might be, uh, I might abandon it next week and go back to what is familiar. Because you know, in your mind, certain verses say so, and then when you read it, it's, so we'll, we'll give it a try here. So this is from the Christian Standard Bible, which is kind of growing in some popularity. But uh, notice what he says in verse 9. Uh, you have the ESV on your handout. And by the way, this is, uh, I think this is on handout two uh, is on there. Do I have verse nine on? Okay, so uh, I gave you uh, one if you weren't here last week, but we're, we're going to use the handout number for this week, number two. Uh, so that's what you just, you don't need to have both. You just have that one there. He says, for this reason also, uh, since the day we heard this, we, have, we haven't stopped praying for you. Now keep in mind, Paul had never met these people, okay? He had never met them. But yet, he says, the moment we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. Look at what he heard about them. He says, um, go back up, uh, and, and, and if you have your Bibles there, verse 4, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, not just your little group, but all the saints, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Um, You have already heard about this hope and the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Look at this. It says that that they're bearing fruit, and this gospel is growing all over the world. I mean, this is not even 30 years since the resurrection, and Paul says that this gospel is growing all over the world. Within 30 years of the death, burial, and resurrection, we see that the gospel is going forth in all over the world at this time. Uh, Just notice this, just as it has among you since the day you heard it, 
and came to appreciate God's grace. He says, you learn this from Epaphras, our fellow brother. And we talked about Epaphras. But he says in verse 9 that we haven't stopped praying for you. And I thought there in verses 9 through 13, and you have that already kind of there uh, in your uh, outline, in your handout, uh, that it was just really interesting to see these seven things of what the Apostle Paul prayed for for these believers that he did not know. I mean, look, it is a challenge sometimes just to pray for people we know, right? What about people we don't know? What about people we don't even heard of? You know, like uh, Sunday, we took some time to pay for Pete and Jody Brennan in Brazil. Many of you don't, you know, you know, I've never met them, but how do we pray for people? How do we pray for ministries, Um, you know, cups, crossover cups, uh, and the work they're doing there, Samaritan's Purse, uh, Wycliffe Bible Translator, I mean, Converge, the global, you know, there's all sorts of different things, and I thought this was helpful, and we're going to kind of walk through this. We're not going to try to spend the whole time here. But let's walk through it beginning at verse 9. Notice the first thing that Paul says is he, he prays. This is kind of a, a pattern. And the reason I like, like some of these things and highlight some of these things, because if you're like me, prayer is a challenge. I mean, I'm not saying, I, you know, I pray, but to pray in a way that you feel is fruitful and effective and, and sometimes having some structure to your prayer. Now, you don't want to get bound to a structure. When I was doing the the holy habits, I intentionally didn't give you a formula for prayer or a formula for evangelism because what happens is sometimes people get all in bondage over the formula. You know, like, oh, I messed up. I skipped three and went to five, and I don't know what I'm going to do. God's not going to hear, you know. So that's why I don't do that sometimes because everybody find, find, find what, you know what I said about evangelism, and it's true for prayer. What's the most effective method of, of prayer? The one you use, right? What's the most effective method of evangelism? The one you use, okay? So this is just a pattern. There's, you know, the Lord's Prayer, really the disciples' prayer, um, and there's others in the Bible. So when you see some of these, it's kind of cool to note it. So you can go to your Bible, and and when you're just kind of stuck, and you're just, you know, you're you're not sure where to, and you want to pray, well, just here's seven things, and these are things related to praying for others, especially for people that, um, you know, whether you know them or not. But notice he prays, verse 9, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. He said, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know, you probably have people ask you, hey, pray about, um, I've got a job interview this week. I got a job on interview on Thursday. Pray that I get the job. Well, let me be honest with you. I don't know if that's God's will or not. And I'm not sure they do. So how do I pray for that? I don't know if that's the will of the Lord. But you know what I can pray? I can pray that they be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. That they would have the sense of knowing uh, that of God's will. Is there really anything more pertinent for a believer than to know the will of God? And not just, you know, he says, but know it in wisdom. That's, that's practical application and spiritual understanding. That's, that's, that's being that direction from the Lord there, filled with the knowledge of his will. Look at the second thing in verse 10. Filled with the knowledge of his will, verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, that you may be fully 
pleasing to him. It, it's, it's good to know the knowledge of the will of God, but if you have no intention of doing it, right, what's, what's the point? So we want to know what God's will is in order to be pleasing to the Lord. To, when we talk about walking uh, in a manner worthy, that's a person's, the way that they order their lives, the way they live their life. When you talk about a walk, that's a, um, is that, that's not a euphemism. Is that a, you're a teacher, is that a euphemism or that's a metaphor? Maybe a metaphor, thank you. I know it was an M word. Metaphor. Um, Metamucil. Uh, but uh, a metaphor. Um, uh, you know, to meaning how we live our life. You know, that you, how's your walk with the Lord? It's not talking about your paces. You know, I've got a little Fitbit here that tells me how many steps I walk. I love days when I didn't think I did anything, and it vibrates, and I got 8,000 steps. I'm thinking, I didn't hardly do anything today, you know, and, but I'm excited. I'll take that, right? You know, I'm, um, so, but it's walking in a way that is uh, conducive to what? This knowledge of his will, knowing the will of God, and then doing it than doing the will of the Lord. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I, just, um, you know, I just feel like the Lord hasn't directed me in a long time. And, and I might say, well, what was the last thing he, he told you to do? And have you done that? Right? It was like, you know, kind of like, nah, kind of like the way we go through Netflix or like, nah, 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 nah. You know, that isn't the will of God. Like, God, I don't want to do Oh, okay, that's convenient. No. What was the last thing he directed you? He's, he's still waiting for you to get off first base and start doing what? Why is he going to tell you something new or different or direct you? All right, you get that. Pleasing to the Lord. I, I read a story about uh, the famous general Alexander the Great, one of the great uh, conquerors, infamous conquerors, however you want to. Um, and uh, after some major battle, um, that all the soldiers that survived the battle, uh, and they were kind of there, and he was, expect, he was inspecting the troops. And there was one soldier who uh, was there, and he kind of had his head down. He didn't, and, and Alexander noted that he wasn't very aggressive in the battle. And uh, so he went over to him. I think he was kind of, the story is, you know, he's kind of hoping Alexander would avoid him. And so he, Alexander went over to this soldier that really wasn't very aggressive and didn't seem to, but yet they, they had this great battle and asked him, said, soldier, what's your name? Soldier said, my name is Alexander. Uh, that, you know, I have the same name as you. And Alexander the Great said, this great general said, change your behavior or change your name. In other words, I don't want you having the same name as me if you're going to wimp out in the battle. Change your name or change your behavior. Whose name do we bear? We bear the name of Christ. So walk worthy, okay? That's the second thing. The third thing, also in verse 10, is not only would we be filled with the knowledge of his will, have a worthy walk, but that we, we, we would, uh, we're praying that we would bear fruit so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And here it is, also in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. What, what is a, you know, that's a metaphor too. Uh, when we see that in the Bible, what is bearing fruit? How, what's that a metaphor for what in, in, in the Christian life? Agriculture, we're supposed to grow bananas and oranges. Is that? Talk to me. Well, there's, there's, several, there's several meanings. One is, of course, evangelism, bearing fruit that 
Okay, but just but you're right, and those are all right. But just kind of step back a little bit. Generally, fruit is a metaphor for what? Huh? Production. Thank you. What did you say? Fruit? Oh, I thought you said fruit is fruit. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't hear you. Production. All right. Jesus said, "You'll know a tree by its what? Good fruit. Good root. Right." That an original. I heard Tony Evans say that one time. I wanted to say that. Uh, but good fruit, good root. Uh, I remember, uh, if you want me to kill a plant, if you want to kill a plant, give it to me. I have a gift uh, in, in, in seeing the demise of, of plants. Uh, but, but, but I remember I had this tree one time, the first house I owned, and it didn't take a lot of intellect to understand that the, the, the tree really was dead or dying and that there, there was a problem that I could not see. And so a Christian who is, and remember, this, these aren't just people who played lip service to the faith. Remember what we said uh, about these believers is that these believers, uh, it's back in, um, let's see, uh, where was it? Um, Back in verse 6, notice it said, back in verse 6 of these believers in Colossians, it says that they, they were increasing and bearing fruit. He said it back in verse 6, um, since the day you heard it. Since the day you heard what? Since the day you heard the gospel. In other words, they heard the gospel, and immediately this is, was this, one of the things that we said showed their genuineness of their faith, that these were genuine converts is because their life began to, if you will, bear fruit, okay? Show production, show evidences of grace. You remember the chapter, where is it, um, that talks about the fruit of the Spirit? Where is that in the Bible? Galatians 5. Remember, it talks about, it doesn't say this, but the fruit of the flesh, you know, and, you know, anger, envy, all those things. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it is something that the Spirit grows in the believer's life. Uh, it's not something that you can manufacture. The law attempts to manufacture fruit, if you will. And it's always, you ever picked up or, 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 or saw some beautiful fruit and arrangement, and you just, it was just like, wow, that, and you went to touch it, that peach, I love peaches, and you went to grab a hold of it, and it was plastic, it was fake, you didn't try to eat it, did you, right? Uh, it was plastic, it was fake, and so you can't manufacture, there's not a Chiquita banana factory in Boise, Idaho, cranking out the line, guys, you know, cranking out the, no, it's fruit, it's grown, and you don't, if you ever go up to an apple tree or an orange tree or lemon tree or whatever, and you put your ear, you, you don't hear straining, do you? You don't hear just like, oh, you don't hear the fruit making those groaning sounds, right? It just, it just grows. It's a beautiful thing of God's creation. That's what happens in the believer's life. Now, do we get all the fruit in one you know, the moment we're saved and we're, we just got all these things. No, there's things that you, you grow in throughout your life. There's things that you develop throughout your life, okay? So notice what Paul said. He said he prayed that they would bear fruit in every good work. Look over at Ephesians. Keep, there, keep something there. And I know this is a familiar verse, but 
it's just sometimes fun to look at it afresh. But go over to Ephesians 2, uh, 8, and we'll read 8 through 10, or I'll have one of you do that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, very familiar, but look at verses 8, and someone read out loud for me, uh, verses 8 through, what did I say, 10? 8, 9, and 10, Ephesians chapter 2. Someone read that so we all could follow along with you. Now, we're not saved by it's a gift, but the gift of salvation, the grace, the evidence, the, 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 the uh, outworking uh, is that we are His workmanship. The Greek there is a word that you could also translate or, or get the word masterpiece. We are His masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. We're not saved by good works. But because we're his workmanship, who now have been saved by grace through faith, uh, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has planned ahead of time. So, so uh, good works um, that follow there. For, fourth, on our uh, model of prayer here, also in verse 10, not only is that, that you're bearing fruit in every good work, but growing... Um, uh, but growing in the knowledge in, of God, increasing. So we're praying for the knowledge of God, but we're also to be growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, how do we grow? You know, there's, there's Christians that you've met, I've met, and, uh, and if you talk to them a while and you find out, you begin to talk about their, their, their life in church or their experience in the Christian life, and they need, never seem like they've moved on out of first or second grade, if I could use it that way. There, there's really, they'll always go back to something that happened 15, 20 years ago. And I'm not diminishing experiences and things that we have. But, but as far as they're growing, they've never really moved off of, you know, that first or second grade. Imagine how that would be, you know, in our, our life. And there's something about the Christian life that, it, that it, we're always moving forward. We're always growing. We're always uh, learning things new. And, and sometimes we'll learn something. We'll say, well, I never heard that. Uh, I, 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 you know, I've been in church, boy, I've heard this. I've been in church all my life, and I've never heard of that. Well, okay. This is a good day. You've heard it. You know, now you're hearing it, right? And so you'd be like in Acts 17, those Bereans, that church, those believers at Berea, remember what they did? If you look in Acts 17, those Bereans, they, they listened to Paul teach, but they verified everything he said themselves by looking at the Word of God. They did, even though Paul was an apostle, and I love the fact that Paul didn't rebuke them, like, how dare you? You question me. Man, I've known some pastors that are they're crazy. They're nuts. No, I'm not, I'm not. I mean, they're nuts. They should go sell shoes. Because if you question or challenge them on something, I'm not talking about in a rude, I'm not talking about that. They get upset. Man, if I'm, if I'm saying something off and, and you bring the word of the Lord to me, we may agree to this, but if it's something I'm just off in and wrong in, man, I want to know. I'm not bothered by that. Uh, I'm glad you're digging in the word. Uh, there's times which I'll say something, and I remember one time I said something, I wasn't necessarily about the Bible, but I made reference to something uh, uh, about the Catholic Church or something in their history, and, uh, and Paul Smith um, 
came to me and said, well, you know, that wasn't exactly accurate. And he told me what it was, and I, of course, I went home and, you know, did what every good scholar does. You Google it, right? <laughs> That's the final. No, I went and it was like, and I texted him. I said, hey, thanks. I don't want to misquote or I don't want to say something you know, that's wrong or historically is inaccurate. So, 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 so we want to be growing in the Word of God. And the only way to do that, and I commend you for being here tonight, you're here to just put yourself under the Word of the Lord. This is how you do it. There's no shortcuts. We like shortcuts. My wife hates the phrase that comes out of my mouth when we're driving somewhere. She, she hates this phrase, has a physiological reaction when I say, quote, I think I know a shortcut. She knows that means lost. And I used to be able to fake it like this was the way the whole time. But she figured that out, you know, that she was on to me, right? There's no shortcuts when it comes to growing in God. You got to be in the word of the Lord. Remember Jesus said in John 15, 7, he said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. That's that John 15 that we started with because Colossians is all about connections. Colossians is all about connections. Our staying connected to the true vine, Jesus, right? Being connected to the life source, the folks that were getting confused or bamboozled by some false teaching, they were getting cut off from the source of Christ. That's why Paul just went right in to talking about Jesus here And so Jesus says, my words remain in you, and he connects it with his presence. Number five, uh, verse 11, another thing that we pray for. These are just, this is a good pattern to pray for people. When you're praying for me, pray these things. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, his strength and his power. Um, Jesus told those disciples and. Acts 1.8, he said, wait, uh, wait, go and wait, go in the upper room and wait because uh, the Holy Spirit will come to you in power. In other words, the job you're go- you got to do, this gospel going into the world, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, they had the Holy Spirit in the sense of they had it, um, maybe say it this way, they had it, remember Jesus uh, talked about how it's better for me to ascend, to go back to heaven uh, so that he could send the Holy Spirit. He said, that's better because, and I'm kind of cutting through some of them and paraphrasing, you know, up to this point, you've had my presence around you, but if I go back to the Father and send the Holy Spirit, my presence will be what? In you. And he said, that's better. That's better. It's better. And so we need the Spirit. We need His strength. We can't do that on our own. Um, keep something there in Colossians. Take a left and look over also uh, at a Philippians. That's another prison letter that Paul wrote while he was um, in, under this house arrest, same period of time. Go to Philippians 2, great chapter on the uh, humility of Christ and having the same attitude and... and uh, being a servant, you know, that's a, a verse 3, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Consider others better than yourselves. <coughs> verse 5, adopt the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. But look at verse 12. Uh, make sure. Yes. Uh, verse 12, therefore, he says, uh, Philippians 2, verse 12, 
He says, and we're talking about this being strengthened in the, in the power of his glorious might. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, here it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for, you with me? He doesn't say work for it, work out. In other words, put, it, put some exercise to it. And that's what we do, but notice it isn't just human effort. Look at the next verse. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So is it me? Is it my will? Is it my responsibility? Yes. Is it God working in you? Is it God's strength and God's power? Yes. It's both. It's me, but it's God's Spirit working in me. My will, my affections are becoming His will, His affections. Hopefully that's true of of your own experience over time. You find that your desire and your holy habits are being more conformed to His will, but it isn't just your self-effort. Some people have that idea of the Christian life. We're just to to grind it out. That's fun. The grind-out church. That sounds like a lot of fun, an exciting bunch, right? No, that sounds depressing. We don't want to be a part of that. But it's, it's that God is working through me. He's working through my will. He's working through my choices. That's why when people worry about trying to, you know, put all the free will and God's sovereignty, I think, I think the word of the Lord puts it together right here in verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's your, your will, your choices and all that. But always remember, it is God as a believer, what's he doing? He's working in you. His spirit is working in you to do what? To will and to work according to his good purpose. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 just puts those right together. Nice little theological sandwich, right? Right there. And doesn't have a problem. Doesn't have a problem reconciling those two things. Who works, how do, you, how do you live this Christian life? You do it, and it's God working in you. It isn't you just, again, it's not just self-determination and just, man, I'm just going to grit my teeth and, and, and obey this thing if it kills me. I'm going to be a Christian if it kills me. <laughs> well, if you're a Christian, there will be a lot of killing. It's called killing of flesh, killing sin. There will be some death and mayhem. Hopefully not you, but it's sin and your, your flesh and all that. You with me? And it's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Look over, um, we're not leaving uh, Colossians, but let's just travel over to take a little farther left and go to 2 Corinthians 4, 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And that works with this verse here. Someone read 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Someone read that for us. Hmm. Read that one more time. Read it a little louder, but read it one more time. So we're the clay jars, clay pots. You could say we're cracked pots, right? <laughs> um, I know some Christians that were little cracked pots, right? Um, 
But it says we have this extraordinary power, the uh, CSB says, that is from God and not from us. It's from God and not from us. So we're praying that they'd be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. All right, let's go back to our outline. Look at number six. Also verse 11. You see, all these things are right there in, in these few verses. Isn't that great? That's what I love by just walking verse by verse because it's just, it just the richness of God's word. If we just take time, stop and mark it and, and note it, we just find the richness and so much here that the word of God just, just has it out there. Um, also, he's praying that not only would they be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that, so that, you may have great endurance and patience. Great endurance. Endurance in uh, the circumstances of life. Do you sometimes need some endurance of life? To just get through some situations? Yeah, of course. Uh, remember Galatians 6 and 9 says, Don't be weary in doing good. You ever get weary in just trying to do the right thing? You know, you think, I mean, even, a, I forget what psalm it is, but even the psalm, one of the psalmists says, you know, it seems like the people that are not obeying you, God, they're, they're doing a lot better than me. I got all these troubles, and the people that just seem to be rejecting you, they just seem to be prospering and growing, and they seem to be happy. You ever feel like that some way? It's like, here I'm trying to love God, serve God, do the right thing, raise my family, my kids, my grandkids, whatever it is, I'm just trying to do, and it just seems like, boy, it's just, but I need the endurance, I need the perseverance, perseverance, but also not only an endurance for circumstances, but also a patience. I don't believe this thing of like, oh, don't pray and ask God for patience, because you know what he'll do. God, it's not up there playing some games with us. Yeah, sometimes you go through trials. I shouldn't say sometimes. Most of the time when we do go through trials, we go through that. Isn't that what James says? Count it all joy. Isn't that exactly what James's language is? Count it all joy when you go through various trials. Because when you go through those various trials, and, and he says, and, and when they have their full work, it produces a perseverance in your life. You ever go through some tough situations and you look back and you say, I don't wanna, I'm glad I don't, have to, I don't want to ever do that again. It's not like you're wanting to go back and you know, revisit the good old days. No, those weren't good. But God strengthened you in his power and he gave you an endurance and a patience in that process. And as a result of that, you, 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 got, you, got, you got a little muscle. You got a little spiritual muscle. And so when other things come at you, guess what? You're like, eh, you just kind of flip it away, knock it out, because you, you've, you've, you've endured some stuff, and you've, you've demonstrated God's strength and God's power. Have you found that to be true? I found it to be true for me. Patience. Your Bible might say, uh, what other word for patience does your Bible say? Oh, long-suffering. Isn't that a good Christian word? Long-suffering. Long-suffering Baptist church. Uh, nobody names their churches that, right? Long-suffering, you know, community church. No. Um, <laughs> but where do we, you know, we need endurance and circumstances, but you know where we need patience and long-suffering? With people. You know, we went through that series, Jim led us in that great series, When to Walk Away, and, and you, need some, you need some patience, you need some long-suffering with some folks, Right? 
And then the last is, verse 12 and 13, a lot of, lot of components here, giving thanks to the Father. Look at this, giving thanks, giving thanks to the Father, verse 12, who has, and look at the language here, who has enabled you, who has qualified us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Saints aren't people that are, that are named in this special class by the Vatican. The Bible says that we are saints. We are saints. And you can call me St. Timothy if you want. My wife does. <laughs> Don't shake your head. Share in the saints' inheritance in the light, look at verse 13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. There's, there's just a few things there we want to unpack in verses 12 and 13. The Father has qualified us. He has initiated us. We didn't get this. We didn't qualify ourselves. Have you ever applied to do something and you look, and what are the qualifications? And there was like 10 of them there, but there was like two, you know, a, certif a certification. So many years in this kind of field or whatever. And you think, ah, you know, I got eight out of 10. Maybe they'll let that slide. And you try and go, the, and they're like, no, that's, that's, that's the qualifications. We can't qualify. There's a qualification to entering into the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? There's a qualification. There's something that we need that we don't have. You know what it's called? Righteousness. We ain't got it outside in ourselves. There's a righteousness that is a qualifying, a qualifier. A qualifier. You need to meet this qualification. Well, how do we do that? The Father, what does it say there? Look at back at verse 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you or who has qualified you. Do you have qualified in your Bible? Okay, is that in the ESV? Okay. Um, has qualified us. Um, the word, it's, there's this, and, and again, I'm not throwing Greek words out to impress you, but, but the word has to, it's used in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, in fact, I'll just read it real quick. It's the same word. It's not, I don't think it's used in any other place. And it's kind of interesting sometimes when you see how it's used in a different place. It's used in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, where the Lord says that he has made us uh, competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, that he has made us competent. It's the same Greek word there. He has made us, he has qualified us. He has, he has, he has made it so that we meet the criteria, God supplies to us what we lack, and what we lack is righteousness. God has given us the righteousness of God. Uh, Romans 5, 6. Someone read Romans 5, 6. Look up Romans 5, 6. Someone read Romans 5, 6. Someone read that. We were powerless. Uh, the CSB says, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You remember 
In Romans 3, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of unpacks that, that what the law couldn't do, what our self-works couldn't do, religion couldn't do, God did because God, made, God, was the, God was the justifier. How could God make us righteous? God in His righteousness not only could make us righteous, but He had to maintain His own righteousness by meeting the demands of the law. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He met the demands of the law. He met the demands of righteousness in order that we might be made the righteousness of God. So that's what he means, that he has qualified us. He has, he has, he has, he has met the qualifications for us. And look at what also it says there in verse um, not only has he enabled us, but verse 13, it says that he has rescued us. He has rescued us. I think the NIV says rescued us. I like that because that has to do with a transference. He has rescued us. And it's interesting that word that's used there in the Greek. I found this interesting. It's a word that refers to a deportation of a conquered people, like an army who's gone in and taken over a particular nation or country. And what they have done is they have gathered up the people and deported them or taken them. Uh, it's kind of like when the Allies went into, uh, after World War II, and they went into Auschwitz and some of those concentration camps. You know what they did? They, they, took, they took those people and they transferred them. That's the Greek word there. They, they took them out of one domain into another domain. What has Christ done? He has rescued us. He has transferred us. He has deported us out of the domain of darkness, where? Into where? The kingdom of his son. God has done that. I'm glad you're excited. God has done that. God has done that. And why is that a big deal? Is because as we dig into Colossians, we'll find out that what these false teachers were doing is they, were, they, weren't to, they weren't rejecting Jesus, but essentially, and the reason we call this complete in Christ, is they were, they were teaching certain religious practices that, in essence, were saying, Jesus is not enough. You are not complete in Christ. You need to add some of these other, there's some other things that you need to do there's some other methods of gaining to be a super spiritual saint because Christ is inadequate. There's not, there's not a sufficiency there. Well, what is Paul saying? He doesn't, he, when, before he starts getting into the particulars of these false teachers, what's he doing? He's talking about how Christ has totally provided everything that we've needed, that he has qualified us. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and we are now in, presently in, the kingdom of his Son. Verse 14, in him, in him, we have redemption. It's not by being better. It's not by trying harder, being gooder, going to church more. This is something that he has done. For the believer. And he's writing to believers. That's very clear here. He's writing to Christians. And he's saying, why is it that you're buying into this idea? Remember, we started last week talking about sales and marketing. The whole premise is to get you to buy something that you don't need. 
you don't need. The tithe you've been using for 10 years has done just fine, but you didn't realize what a lousy detergent that was till the Oxy super improved nuclear version came out. You're like, oh, I don't wash this junk and this stuff doesn't even smell right. How do we get into that? We need to go buy the new and improved. This car, I told you the first time I bought a car, and uh, it was a uh, Nissan uh, Sentra. And I can remember coming out of Liberty Nissan in Virginia Beach, Virginia, pulling out on the Virginia Beach Boulevard, and immediately my thought was, next time I want a Maxima, because I wasn't satisfied with this brand new car that the ink of the loan wasn't even dry. I already, you know, I wanted something better. I wasn't happy. Well, that's what these false teachers and all cults finagle and confuse Christians that aren't in the Word. That's why we need to pray those prayers, not only for other people, but we need to be full of the knowledge of His will, bearing fruit, growing, because any one of the telltale signs of a false religion is where, and, and sometimes these can be real subtle, is to get you to take your focus and attention where Jesus is not complete and to add something else that you need. And, and that's what we'll see in Colossians here. Just got a few minutes. Let's get into the second part in verses 15 and 23 because it all just kind of, you know, these, these, these little headers and things are things that the editors put in. Paul didn't write that way. He didn't write in verse numbers. I remember my uncle was a pastor, and uh, I remember occasionally he'd get this letter from, by some guy or girl trying to sound super spiritual, and they would write a letter, and I kid you not, in the handwritten letter, they would write verse numbers, like somehow that was real spiritual, please, all right, grow up, all right, verse 15, notice what he does, he, he, he's, he's, remember, he's saying this Jesus has deported you, he's rescued you just like those victims of the concentration camp were liberated by the allies, can you imagine the joy how much more the joy of being liberated by Jesus and being transferred out of the domain of the evil and now we're in the kingdom of his son. And he says that this Jesus is the image of God. What is God like? You know, all sorts of people got all these weird ideas. You want to know what Jesus is like? You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. I won't turn to it, but in John 14, you remember Philip? Asked Jesus after Thomas, you know, touched his side and hands. And Philip just said, just one thing. Just one thing, Jesus. What? What did Philip ask? Show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I not been with you all this time? And you, like he was just saying, are you kidding me? That's what, I mean, that's the message version. Are you kidding me? I've been with you this whole time, and you, you still... It wasn't saying that Jesus, the Son, and that's where sometimes people that have a misunderstanding of the Trinity, they confuse the, role, the, 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 the personhood of the triune God. He wasn't saying, I'm the Father, but he's saying that we are one in essence. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, I am the... And in Hebrews, talks about being the exact representation, the icon, the very nature of God. I remember a story of a little girl, and I'll end on this. A little girl was 
drawing pictures and coloring, and her dad was looking over the picture, and she said, he said, he said, hey, sweetie, what are you, what are you drawing? And she thought, I'm drawing a picture of God. He said, honey, nobody knows what God is like. She threw the crayon down and said, they will when I'm done. Well, Jesus is the image of God. There's a lot more we want to unpack there that uh, we want to take some time with. Any, any thoughts, uh, observations? I didn't give you a lot of time here. I apologize, but I was trying to talk fast. A lot of stuff we wanted to get into. But uh, any, anything in your reading, comments that uh, stood out that we kind of glossed over real quick? All right. Well, glad you're here. Hopefully, you're going to hang in there. We're going to get into finishing up chapter one. We'll finish up chapter one next week. And, uh, and then chapter two, he gets into some more particulars. One of the things they were, they were, they were being suckered into this, this kind of a quasi-Jewish legalism. Now, remember, the folks in Colossae were not Jewish. There was a lot of Jews there because they were, they were deported in, in one of the, 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 you know, when Jerusalem fell and they were brought into the, you know, different parts of the uh, empire and different conquerors. So there was a large Jewish constituency there. And, uh, but this church, they were being uh, influenced by kind of a, of, a, a kind of a Jewish legalism, you know, of, of, of kind of obeying the Jewish laws and things. And then there was this other element of uh, worshiping of angels, that the, the path to true spirituality was, and they really, be, really taught that Jesus was kind of just a, 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 like he was like a really major angel. That's why Paul spends a lot of time in talking about the supremacy of who Jesus is, and we'll kind of see how that kind of falls apart there, and then about this kind of asceticism. Asceticism is kind of this, you know, people are going to intentionally suffer or go without, or, and, but, but not as a means of like fasting or doing those things that are, that are biblical, but somehow doing it in a way to make themselves more accepting before God. You know, that I'm going to suffer, I'm going to walk on nails. Martin Luther, you know, the, the leader of the Reformation, that was kind of his mindset. You know, walking up the, the, I forget what the stairs were there in Rome, and on his knees, bloody knees, and, and thought that, that he could not accept the grace of God unless he personally suffered himself. Because, again, the sufficiency of the atonement of Jesus, he, he just, he didn't understand it until the Holy Spirit opened his eyes, and all of a sudden, truth just flooded in there, and it's by faith you're saved, and it's Jesus alone, and man, a revolution that we are still benefiting by. You know, we're still enjoying that and still seeing the fruit of that, so we'll get into all that, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the completeness we have in Christ. Thank you that you have deported us, Lord, that you've rescued us, Lord, out of the domain, out of the kingdom of darkness, and God brought us into the kingdom of your Son. Lord, we thank you for the complete, finished work of Christ. Lord, let us just be reminded, Lord, that all sufficiency, all joy, all satisfaction is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And we thank you in that mighty name, Jesus, we pray as we leave here tonight. And everybody said, Amen. 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 All right. Amen. Thank you for being here. and.